Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Thank you for joining us on Twitter Spaces. I'm CBS News political correspondent Caitlin Huey-Burns. We are less than 24 hours away from the 2022 midterm elections, and there has already been historic voter turnout. So we want to talk about the role of women in the midterms, and we have some of the best in the business joining us today. We have evening news anchor and managing editor, of course, Nora O'Donnell, and Face the Nation moderator, Margaret Brennan, CBS News correspondent and host of The Talk, Natalie Morales. And I want to start with CBS News congressional correspondent, Nicole Killian. So I know you were basically living in Georgia at this point. Um, you've been on the road for us covering the crucial Senate race and, and the governor's race there as well. Um, and I know you've interviewed all the candidates, been on all the buses. Um, you, you probably have a lot of <laughs> hotel points at this point. Um, but what, what's interesting, I think, of something that you've been covering, especially, and I think that is something that's undercovered is is the role of, of black women in these midterms. I mean, you have some history making bids from some candidates um, in governor's races and Senate races. And I know you've been doing a lot of reporting on this. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what what you've what you've found and who you've talked to. Yeah, well, good to join you, Caitlin. And I literally am on the road because I just pulled off of a highway exit. So okay, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you are literally getting me fresh on the campaign trail. <laughs> Live but I, I'm sure <laughs> exactly. But I, I'm sure you can relate. Um, but but look, I, I think one of the remarkable things uh, about Georgia is 
the history making races uh, that are in this state. And I think that's why a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening in Georgia right now and also why you're seeing uh, this record level of turnout. We learned over the weekend that more than two and a half million people have cast their ballots in early voting, which is an all time record for the state in terms of midterm elections. So that really says a lot. And as you mentioned, you know, there is a critical race not only for the U.S. Senate, but also for the governor's mansion. And so certainly we are witnessing right now Stacey Abrams trying to mount another bid against Governor Brian Kemp. This is a rematch from 2018. And while the governor has maintained an edge over Stacey Abrams in the polls, she and her team remain uh, determined in their bid. And if she is able to unseat the governor, she would become the first black woman in U.S. history to be a governor. And that is quite significant. You know, when I first learned about that statistic, I, I really had to do a double take because you look at the fact that we have someone like Vice President Kamala Harris, who was the first woman vice president, first woman of color to become vice president. You look at former President Barack Obama first African-American president. And so even with all of this uh, precedent on the presidential level, and even in Congress, we have yet to see a Black woman in an executive role in any state in this country. And so that's why this race matters, win or lose. You have a number of African-American women who have mounted uh, bids for the governorship. Uh, right now, uh, one of the last women standing in addition to Stacey Abrams is Deidre DeGere in Iowa, who is running against Kim Reynolds. And so uh, this really is about, uh, for these women in particular, I think, trying to lay the groundwork and lay a path for other women potentially to come behind them whether or not they are successful in their own bids uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, Nicole, that's fascinating, especially what you said about, you know, two years ago, Kamala Harris being, um, you know, obviously came into the vice presidency, but then you look at the Senate um, and there isn't that representation. So it was really interesting to watch those races, that North Carolina race in particular. Nicole, um, I think another interesting thing about Georgia is, you know, we're, we're covering these races with the backdrop of the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs and what it means in terms of motivating voters. But but Georgia, you know, hits differently because of these allegations against Herschel Walker. And I know you've been at so many different events of his and you've covered his campaign very thoroughly. And I'm wondering if, if that's had an impact on, on voters that you talk to. I'm curious kind of how they have been assessing the news of that and the reports and, you know, whether they believe this is an issue that they're voting on. And also, I know you've been covering a lot of Warnock events, too. I'm wondering if it comes up. Well, I, I would note two things, you know, I would note broadly speaking uh, and you know, I, I think that this also speaks to the reporting uh, that you have and, and that we've seen across the country is that this issue of abortion rights has really galvanized uh, women in particular, um, whether you look at states like Kansas, whether you look at New York State, uh, for instance. Uh, but here in Georgia, 
It does play a little differently from the standpoint of the state does have a fetal heartbeat law in effect, which bans abortions at six weeks. And so it is a concern just about every time, uh, in particular, when you speak to Democratic women, uh, more specifically, who are concerned about their rights going forward, not only in their own state, but also on a national level. And so time and again, when we do talk to voters and ask them what is driving them to the polls, what is the number one issue for them? By and large, uh, many female voters have told us this issue of abortion rights and reproductive rights are essential. And that's why they're supporting the Democratic ticket, because they want those rights restored. Uh, On the flip side, in terms of Republican women, uh, what's interesting when you do look at a candidate like Senate nominee Herschel Walker, a political newcomer, former football star, Heisman Trophy winner in the state, he has had to battle a lot of different headlines throughout the course of his candidacy, uh, most notably and most recently, these allegations that he paid for the abortions of two women, one of whom did come forward publicly on camera, another who spoke to uh, a number of media outlets. And Herschel Walker has continued to uh, deny these stories, although in the case of one woman, he did come out and say that, uh, you know, he was involved with this woman and that he did, in fact, write her a check. He just didn't know what it was used for. Uh, But that being said, you know, when you talk to women at his rallies, uh, many of them are willing to look away from this. You know, they either think that this is just a hit job by Democrats trying to sully Walker's record, or they look at it from the vantage point of they feel that, you know, everyone makes mistakes in their lives. And so, you know, they are willing to look past his faults because no one is perfect. And at the end of the day, it is about supporting the Republican ticket and Republican values. And that's whether you talk to women who support Herschel Walker or in many cases, men who support uh, Herschel Walker. Um, Of course, some would say there's some hypocrisy in his viewpoint because (laughs) he has been very clear that he is against abortion. And his position has shifted on this uh, quite a bit, uh, quite frankly, because over the summer, he was asked several times if he supports a national abortion ban. And his response was that he did, uh, without exceptions. Uh, And he has since shifted most recently in the debate uh, that occurred between Walker and Senator Warnock back in October, where he says that he now supports Georgia's law, which does allow for some exceptions. So his position has shifted a little bit. How that will play and resonate with those who have not yet voted, I think, remains to be seen. Um, But it is certainly something that uh, has uh, galvanized. Well, I don't want to say galvanized. It's probably not the right uh, word, but uh, it certainly has been uh, a big talker, if you will, on the trail. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Caitlin. It's uh, Nora O'Donnell here joining in uh, your discussion. It's Hey, all. It's Margaret Brennan. I just joined as well. 
Hi, Margaret. Yes, um, we were just and Natalie Morales. I'm here too. I I finally figured out I have to turn the mic on to get onto Twitter Spaces. (laughs) Well, welcome. I'm so excited to be talking to all of you here, and then of course on election night. And just to pick up on when Nicole was talking about on abortion, Margaret. uh, I know abortion is on the ballot in five states. What else will you be watching, Margaret? And Margaret pressed the uh, <laughs> mic is on. I but, did. Natalie yeah. gave me the pro tip. And <laughs> That's yet. <what> I did. <laughs> I, I just, yes. <laughs> so um, you're right, Nora. It, it's directly on the ballot as a standalone issue in, in five states, um, Vermont, Kentucky, California, uh, Michigan and Montana in, in some form. But it's also something Democrats have tried to make a national issue uh, to rally in particular women, Democratic women. And I know CBS estimates will be about 20 four percent um, of likely voters but but as you well know this is a complex issue and it's not at all uh, clear that it will drive turnout in any way that could make a difference for Democrats uh, on a national scale because as we're seeing the the pressure from inflation and the economy are really kind of a headwind that's hurting them right now but we're also seeing you know it's local um, in some states like the state of Nevada abortion, is guaranteed uh, up until 24 weeks, after which case there are restrictions um, based on the health of the mother, you could get a late-term abortion. Um, It's kind of a complicated emotional issue that is hard to um, paint with a broad brush. And that's one of the things that I always keep in mind when we're talking about abortion on Face the Nation, that it's not, this is one of the most um, emotional issues that people uh, react to. And I think in June, and I remember sitting with you on set, Nora, when Roe versus Wade was struck down, the immediate shock from it. And then all of a sudden, people had to rush and figure out exactly what their state law was, exactly what the restrictions were, and what they aren't. And in some places like Nevada, maybe some of these women are realizing, oh, that's guaranteed. You know what's not? The price of gas. And I'm really animated by that. So there's these interesting dynamics. Because as we all know, you know, women are not a monolithic group. Those are excellent points. Um, and it is something we're going to be following so closely on election night. Natalie Morales is on um, is in Los Angeles and will be joining us uh, to just on some of those West Coast races. And, and Natalie, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, um, California, all 52 congressional seats have been redistricted. There's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And people don't typically think of California as, you know, obviously, it's such a blue state, you don't think that, oh, well, this could be a key state that could be very decisive when it comes to who may have the balance of power in the House. But we may not know tomorrow night, there are four seats that are are likely toss ups um, from the Central Valley to Orange County. So these are seats that we're going to be watching, we may not know the results tomorrow night until, you know, Wednesday morning. And that, you know, that question of who will be in control when it comes to the, to the House, that may be something that may take some time until those votes are all counted. But we also talked about, you know, the power of, of women in this election. Some of the key races that I'm watching here on the West Coast as well feature women prominently. Um, in in Oregon, you have three women uh, in a very hotly contested governor's race right now. And what's very interesting there is that, I mean, again, Oregon, a bastion blue state, but here you're seeing uh, Christine Drazen is the Republican candidate who could possibly 
end up being the next governor in Oregon to be the first time in 40 years. Um, so a history making run possibly there and uh, also a major upset potentially in Washington state in the Senate race um, where you have uh, Tiffany Smiley, who's a relative newcomer and some have called her one of the, the Republicans have called her one of the best candidates of this cycle going up against a very seasoned five term Senator Patty Murray. So you have somebody who has been there for a long time and, and has done the job, but yet there's this feeling of, dissatisfaction, discontent here along the West Coast when it comes to crime, homelessness, inflation, all of the issues that I think are driving voters very much, I think, what are at the forefront for women as well. We talk about abortion. Um, California, as you mentioned, one of the five states that has abortion, Proposition 1, um, where they would hope to codify abortion uh, if it passes. Um but, you know, other big issues here are those issues that I think are in a lot of big cities and states, which are look at our urban areas like in New York, what we're dealing with with crime and homelessness. And there is a sense of, mm -hmm. you know, how much momentum will there be towards, uh, you know, Republican candidates versus the Democratic candidates? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Natalie, just as you said, I mean, we're going to be covering this and we'll be on the air and there's a lot of races in the West. I mean, we'll get a sense whether this is a Republican ripple or a tsunami based on some of those yeah. races in the West. And then you mentioned Washington State. This is one that Republicans say this is going to be their bonus. You know, they think it's going to be their bonus. I can remember covering Senator Patty Murray elected in 1992, part of the year of the woman. She was known as the, the mom in tennis shoes. And now mm -hmm. she's running against yeah. a political neophyte. Jennifer Smiley, who's got a bust that says there's a new mom in town. I mean, her husband uh, injured uh, uh, a veteran uh, who uh, she has taken care of as a nurse and advocated on behalf of just really, really interesting races. So um, I'm glad you're going to be joining us um, as well, Natalie. I want to touch base back again with Margaret Brennan, because, uh, Margaret, one of the things you've been talking about, too, is parents and mm -hmm. suburban women. What have you seen in the last couple of weeks about how their vote may be moving? Well, you know, Nora, I think this is one of the things that we see in our pressured parents category, and that's how at CBS News we're referring to them. And they're about 13%, according to our Anthony Salvanto's brilliant analysis. They're 13% of likely voters. In this category, I basically put all the trauma all of us lived through for the past three years through COVID and in this pandemic haze. And all of it goes to the educational declines that we have seen um, that are measurable now that even the Biden administration calls appalling. Um, you look at uh, all the difficulties with mental health, uh, all the things. And the assumption here is who is the main caregiver? Typically still, e even these days, it, it is the woman. And for Republicans, if you look at the state of Virginia, for example, where Glenn Youngkin um, rode that powerful message of parental rights to uh, a victory in the state of Virginia, um, you know, a, a, he really was a message to the rest of the Republican Party that this was a live nerve and potentially could really help Republicans. And you've seen this embraced uh, in this campaign trail, uh, on the campaign trail. Democrats haven't messaged as much around yeah. education. And in some ways, perhaps it was a lost opportunity. Terry McAuliffe, who lost to Glenn Lunkin, would tell you he he misread the politics of the moment. So this is one of the things on the minds can of parents. I, yeah, can I ask you about that? Because as you said, Republicans have perhaps been skillful 
about messaging to address some of these concerns. And Kevin McCarthy, who hopes to be the next speaker of the House, has outlined his commitment to America. And one of them is a parent's bill of rights. And he's talking about recovering learning, lost learning from COVID to ensure only women can play in women's sports, expanding parental choice. What does that mean? (laughs) Exactly. Because if you're actually talking about measuring and making up for lost time in the classroom, for example, if you blame this all on remote learning in certain school districts, and this varied around the country, how long kids are out of the classroom, then that parental bill of rights should include some kind of analysis on how to help your kid regain lost ground. Instead, a lot of the culture war issues here are framed around the classroom. It comes down to uh, how gender issues are taught that you just referred to race uh, in the state of Virginia, the the critical race theory, which is taught at the uh, academic level of a university and not for small children. That was really weaponized. And so there there is just this sense in my understanding of it that there is this disoriented feeling among many Americans. There is this feeling of lack of control. And we've seen that in our polling. 79% of Americans say they feel the country is out of control. And how do you control it? Sometimes these narrow issues, these wedge issues are a way to reestablish control um, versus how do you make up for all the time you just lost? And there's just this, this thing of trauma that hangs with us in so many different ways from the pandemic that I don't think we've quite figured out how to quantify yet. And these parental rights you know, lack of control and then reasserting your rights. There's something there in terms of the psyche of where a lot of Americans are, or certainly a lot of American women. Wow. Mark, yeah, you, said is- that, you said that really well. Um, I know I know everybody's out on the campaign trail and, um, and has got interviews set up. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us. Caitlin Huey-Burns, Nicole Killian, um, Margaret Brennan, Natalie Morales. Thank you all. And we look forward to seeing you. Caitlin Hewing Burns, we look forward to seeing all of you on CBS, starting with the CBS Evening News at 6.30 p.m. and then at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Pacific. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be with you. Thank you. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay. And and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that, that, does, that doesn't count. <laughs> Sure, I responded to everything because responding to you, putting reruns up on the podcast was like a form of employment. Yeah. And I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.